Mark chapter 16, just for a Bible, brief Bible time. And I'm going to use a video again tonight. Several weeks ago, three weeks ago or so, I started uh, to say that what we wanted to do is we wanted to expose you to a Bible study material, uh, form of Bible study you could use. Well, with that in mind, we're in Mark 16. Let, let me... Let me direct you this way. In Mark chapter 16, it's the wrapping up of Jesus' earthly ministry. He has already died, buried, and now he is resurrected, and he's about to ascend up into heaven. And it's recorded what he speaks to the disciples. In Mark chapter 16, he makes some comments to the disciples, and one of the comments is dealing with the question that we have at the top of your sheet, and the question is, what is a major obligation that God has placed upon us believers? Those of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ, what does he want us to do? Well, we know he wants us to glorify him. We know he wants us to live holy. He knows he wants us, we know he wants us to be obedient, to love one another, to be able to give Get involved with a church ministry. We understand that. We know that. We know he wants us to pray and study our Bible. In Mark 16, verse 15, is another major, major, major obligation. And it's difficult for us at times. In Mark 16, verse 15, he says, Go, the idea that we're not supposed to be passive and wait for the world to come to us, but go ye into where? Into all the world and do what? Preach or declare the gospel to how many people? to everyone. And so we find that command that's given in Matthew 28. We find it repeated in Luke. We find it given in John. We find it repeated in the book of Acts. That idea of go out and be witnesses. Go out and share your faith. Go out and share your faith. The difficulty isn't for us to know what we're supposed to do. The difficulty is doing it. And so getting around about it and sharing that and exactly what are we supposed to say? Well, we know that the message that he's already said, we read in Mark 16 that this message is the gospel. It's the good news, literally. That's the word for gospel. It's the idea of something that is the best news that has ever heard. But go to the very beginning verses of Mark. All the way at the beginning in Mark chapter 1, he defines exactly what is supposed to be a major part of this good news. Is the good news supposed to be talking about our church? Is the good news to be talking about, you know, um, my experiences. Well, those things can be part of it, but really the good news is focusing on one individual. In Mark chapter 1, he starts off this entire book that ends with saying, share the gospel. He defines in Mark chapter 1 what that gospel is supposed to be about. He says, in the beginning, or the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You find this phrase frequently in the, in the New Testament, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news about Jesus Christ, the good news of Christ, the good news about Jesus. It frequently happens. And so we know that what we're supposed to do is go out and share this good news, tell others about Jesus Christ. We're supposed to let them know what he means to us, who he is. We're supposed to be talking about, about Jesus and the fact that uh, presenting him, who he is, that is, he's the authority, he's the creator, he's our God, what he's done, that is, he died, buried, resurrected for us, provides us forgiveness, what he's going to do in the future. He's going to judge all people. And he's going to, he's going to bring them before the Father's throne and basically examine them. Have they put their faith and trust in him? Or are they relying upon themselves? And so we're supposed to be sharing this. Now the difficulty is how to go about sharing this. We know that part of it in, in helping us to do it is prayer. We're supposed to pray that we'd have boldness. We're supposed to pray that the Lord would send forth uh, laborers. We're supposed to pray for others to get born again, to listen to us. 
We know that we need to exercise some boldness at times, to put our foot forward, to share, to talk to somebody, and not just be passive about it. We know that we have to, at times, create opportunities, like Jesus did with the woman at the well. Engage in a conversation and drive it towards or, or lead it towards spiritual things. We know as well that what for some of us have to do, we need to use tools. We need to improve our own knowledge so that we can answer people's questions. So we could simply say, here's a verse that tells you what you need. Here's a verse that tells you about Christ. And so exploring that option of how we can develop our skill set in sharing the Word of God is part of what I've been wanting to do these next few weeks. And we started a couple weeks ago. One of those areas of improving your skill set is saying, are there tools that you could use to sit down with your neighbors, a co-worker, somebody who says, I want to know a little bit more about Christ. I, I want to explore Christianity. And so I mentioned this, that there is this uh, Bible study material that comes with a DVD, and it comes with a booklet. I'm going to show you part of the DVD. There's seven or eight lessons in total if you choose to use all of them. And uh, there's a booklet for somebody that if you say, oops, I should hold it up right. I'm sorry. If there is somebody that you say, okay, somebody, somebody could work through this booklet. And you say, well, exactly what are the answers that if I'm leading it? There's another booklet, a leader's booklet. So somebody has gone through all the work to put together some tools that you could use. And they've done it in a very interesting and compelling fashion. You're going to see one of the videos. And in this video, I personally thought they did a marvelous job in this section of the video that helps to work with who Jesus Christ is. That he's more than just a popular figure. That Jesus Christ is more than just an example to follow. And they walk through several different passages in a very compelling, interesting way. And what the author is trying to do, or the writer of this material, is he's trying to set up through a period of these six, seven, eight Bible studies, progressing through to saying, okay, what about you and God? You're going to answer to him. We saw that a couple weeks ago. What about Jesus Christ? Next week, the whole topic is what about our problem, the sin problem? What about judgment? What about grace? And walking somebody through over a period of a few nights, a few weeks, you know, a night or so a week that you're doing it, that you can systematically answer their questions and go through material with them. Material that is very, you'll see, as we just work through it ourselves, as if you were learning how to do the Bible study this evening, so you could present it. It is a very simple fashion, but at the same time, you're going to glean some things from it. So let's pretend we're doing the Bible study. Let's put ourselves in that in that mind, in that mold that says, okay, let's sit here and let's do a Bible study, and some people here may not know Christ. So let's work together, and let's talk about some of these things. Let's take our Bible. Let's go to Mark chapter 4. In Mark chapter 4, for our study tonight, we're going to be talking about who Jesus is. And in Mark chapter 4, there's a story that's given that helps identify Jesus to the readers. Because remember, Mark Mark started off saying, this is the gospel about Jesus Christ. So everything Mark is recording is presenting aspects of Jesus Christ. We're in the story of Mark chapter 4, verse 35. This is one of the events that happens that it's recorded not only in Mark, but in some other gospels. And here is what we have happening in this passage. We'll read it, and then we're going to answer some questions out loud together. In Mark chapter 4, verse 35, I'm using a King James Bible, whatever, whatever one you're listening with. Just follow along as best you can. And the same 
same day, when the evening was come, he said unto them, his disciples, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him, even as he was in the ship, and there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he was in the back part or the uh, hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him, and they say to him, Master, carest thou not that we are perishing? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you had no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? What hope? Just that story. Let's answer this question as a, as a small group Bible study. What hope of surviving the storm did the disciples have? Or did they think they had? Any? Did they feel threatened? Yes. How, much, how do you know that? Yeah, we're perishing. Lord, look at where... And by the way, who are these disciples? Put it in context. What's their job for most of them? They're fishermen, so they're used to being on the sea. So this storm had to be, how would you define it? It had to be big. It had to be an intimidating storm to them. And it had to be something that caused even these fishermen to be terrified. And they're, they're thinking there is absolutely no hope. By the way, if with their, what does that tell you about, about them and their skill set? Are they trying anymore or have they come to the end of themselves? When they're saying, we're perishing. They've, they've come to the end of themselves. They have tried everything they can. And so what happens is Jesus just stands up. And it says in the passage that he calms the storm. What strikes you as a remarkable feature in the way that he calmed the storm? Yeah, I mean, the manner of, the, the manner of how he did it, he spoke a word. And by the way, was it a long speech? Was it short, precise? What happens? What ha- what's that? Yeah, that's all it is. That's all it is, just very quick. And what's the response of nature? Uh, it, did you, you said that it's not just a calm, but a great calm. How long did it take, does it seem like? Instantly. What about, okay, did the winds instantly stop? Okay, what strikes you as odd that if you're on a sea or in water and the great calm is instantaneous, what usually happens after a storm with the waves? After the storm has passed, is there still a lot of waves and upheaval in the ocean, in the sea? Does that continue, that rippling effect for a while? But according to the text, everything immediately Everything totally, everything you know, right away, it all stopped. Now, if you were a Jew living in that day, there are certain psalms that you sang that you were very familiar with. Go to Psalm 107. Psalm 107. Hold your finger here and go with me back to Psalm 107. This is one of those psalms that is a very common, familiar, sung song. It would be like you guys singing How Great Thou Art, that most of you 
could probably sing it to some degree uh, by memory as long as you're, you're being encouraged with somebody else who has every word right. But you, it would make some sense to you. Well, here's one of those that would be one of those, those hymns of the ages that they would be able to sing. And in this hymn, it's talking about giving God praise, giving God glory. In fact, it's talking in Psalm 107, the, the focus of the psalm is talking about God's greatness, God's goodness. Let's jump down into the, towards the middle of the psalm. And in this section, it's talking about God and the, and the oceans that he's made. And so we're going to do a little bit of comparison with the notes that we have in front of you, that in this psalm, we're going to pick out a verse and say, okay, this verse that's talking about God, okay, and what people experienced in the Old Testament, are there any parallels or similarities to what the disciples experienced? We go to Psalm 107, verse 23. Okay? It says, They that go down to the sea in ships and that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commands and raises the stormy wind which lifts up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heavens, they go down again into the depths. Their soul is melted, the sailor's soul is melted because of the trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble and he brings them out of their distress. He he makes the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still. Then are they glad because they be quieted, so he brings them unto their desired haven. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Okay. Sailors, merchants who are having, having problems in their travels. And by the way, did you notice how he keeps on using the word, the, the name Lord? What did you notice about it that's kind of different in its spelling? It's all capitalized, which indicates to you and me what? He's using a special name in those verses. The word is Jehovah. The word is Yahweh. And so he's defining and giving God that proper name. We're not talking about just a God. We're talking about the Lord Jehovah. And as he's talking about him, let's make some parallels. In verse 23, he says that they go down to the sea in ships and that do business. They're merchants. Okay, they're used to being on the sea. What's the similarity between the disciples in Mark 4? They're used to being on the sea because they're fishermen. Okay, let's do verse 24. It says that they see the works of the Lord, his wonders in the deep. Okay, do the disciples have a visual experience, um, a physical experience of seeing God do something right there in the oceans? Absolutely. God in the depths of the oceans, when they're in the middle of it, God is going to do a work. They mount up. It's talking about you know, these merchants and their ships. They mount up to the heaven. They go down to the depths. What, what pictures to your mind? Somebody on the sea. Whoops, excuse me. Somebody on the sea and what's happening to them? They're getting seasick. That, that's what I picture and that's what I feel in my belly. And I know that I'd be, you know, I'd be chumming fish probably if I were there. Because the waves are high, they're low. Well, by the way, when we go back to the disciples, what, what did the disciples think? Well, they were in the squall where it says that there was a storm. It's really like the idea of a hurricane. I mean, it was, or a typhoon, real quick, a small version of that, where all of a sudden they're in this twister, this, this uh, water spout, that they're, they're in a real troublesome time. And so, okay, they experience exactly what he's talking about, the merchants. Let's go to verse 26 again. It says in the end of the verse, their soul melted because of the trouble. Well, what about the disciples? When they were in the middle of it, what happened to them? Did their souls melt? They woke up Jesus and said, Don't you care that we are...
Yeah, we're perishing. Exactly. Good. And then in verse 27, they reel to and fro. They stagger like a drunken man are at their wit's end. In other words, they have lost total control. They are at the mercy of the seas. Is that similar to what the disciples experienced in Mark chapter 4? Absolutely. We go down to verse 28. They cry unto the Lord in their trouble, they, and he brings them out of their distresses. And that, so in that same sense, they cry to the Lord, they wake up Jesus, and they say, Jesus... Uh, by the way, when they rebuke Jesus, they woke him up for a reason. They have an expectation of him. They want him to do something. He's got to help them out. Don't you care? Do something is implied very clearly. And then it says at the last couple of verses that we read already, they cry to the Lord. He brings them out of the distresses. He makes the storm a calm so that the waves thereof are still. We see that in Mark chapter 4 very clearly. Very clearly that we have already mentioned calmed. Now, here's, here's the non-similarity. Look at verse 30 and 31. They are glad because they are quieted. He, that he brought them out of their desire, brings them to the desired haven. That men would praise the Lord. Did the disciples do that? Oh, let's go back to Mark chapter 4. What was their response when all of a sudden he rescued them? Do they start singing a song of praise? No. What does Mark chapter 4 verse 41 say? They feared what? Exceedingly and said... Now, here's the odd part of what, what they say. What manner of man is this? If they remembered Psalm 107, Psalm 107 identified who's the person that controlled the seas, that brought people through the storms, that rescued them. It was L-O-R-D, all in capitals. It was God, Jehovah God. And so when they say, what manner of man is this? Immediately from that Sunday school song that they had learned as children, who should they have thought about this is? It's the Lord. It's Jehovah. It's God. Now that's not the only time in this, in this uh, passage, in this portion of Mark. Mark does in chapters 3, 4, and 5, does multiple miracles trying to get the readers like you and me to pause and to say, who is this Jesus? What is this Jesus like? And we need to recognize him. We need to understand who he is and not pass him up or let him be passed by. But we need to know that it is the Lord. I hit the play button. Is somebody back there that it it's playing. We would go to that story. We would talk about that story that Jesus has power over the demons. Then we would go into Mark chapter 5 verses 25 to 34 and show that he has power over even long-term illnesses that are, that are lasting for 12 plus years. And again, we come back to what that concluding statement was. All these stories together tell us that Jesus behaves with the authority and the power that is unique to... What's the answer? To God. It's unique to God. Now, with that in mind, let's wrap this up in our home Bible study. Okay? Did Jesus' critics deny his powers? Well, here, let's, let's go a little bit further. Yeah, just real quickly, Mark chapter 4. How did people who saw these miracles, how did they respond? And you're going you're gonna to have to answer by looking and saying, hey, wait, this is going to be one of, the, I'm going to fit into one of these categories. Mark chapter 4, it says in verses 40 and 41 that the disciples, after the miracle of the storm, what was their initial reaction? They feared 
exceedingly. Okay? So they, that's one response some people, some people can have. They're afraid of that man. Mark chapter 5, verse 15. This is following that miracle. That after he cast out the maniac of Gadara, the demon that had come and had ripped apart that man's life and his social life. In verse 15, then it says that when the crowds came to see Jesus, they saw him that was possessed with the devil and that he had, who had the legion or that multitude of devils in him sitting clothed and in his right mind, what was the crowd's response to Jesus? Mark 5.15. They were they're afraid, okay? They're afraid. They don't wanna they don't wanna contend with Jesus. They wanna don't wanna deal with him. Mark chapter five, jump down to verse twenty seven. Okay, this woman who is now healed of a long-term disease, when she had heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind, touched his garment, for she had said in her mind, if I touch but his clothes, I will be made whole. Straightway the fountain of her blood issue was dried up. She felt in her body she was healed of this plague, and Jesus immediately knew in himself that virtue had gone out of him. He turned about and said to the crowd of people who touched me, the disciples said, what do you mean who touched you? It's a whole crowd around you. He looked around about, but the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him the truth. And he said, Daughter, your faith has made you whole. She responds in believing faith. Is her response to the abilities and the powers of Jesus Christ. You have in verse 42 of chapter 5 that the young lady who was raised from the dead. It talks about her father and everybody else. Straightway the damsel arose, walked. She was aged 12 years of age. And what was the response of the crowd? They were astonished with great astonishment. But this is the one response that should catch us and cause us to pause and be warned. Go to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, verse 22. In Mark chapter 3, verse 22, it's the scribes, it's the Jewish leaders, the religious people who had the authority, who had the responsibility that when they heard of a teacher, they had to go check him out. Is he teaching truth? Look at Mark chapter 3, verse 22. The scribes which came down from Jerusalem, checking out Jesus and what he was doing, they said, He hath Beelzebub, by the prince of the devils cast he out these devils. We read in verse 30. Because they said he has an unclean spirit. Do they deny that he has miraculous abilities? Yes or no? No. It's not that they deny that he has the power. What do they do? What's the problem? They attribute the power to Satan. They discredit Jesus Christ. And so the issue that as we're, we're talking in this Bible study is here where it comes out. What do you think of Jesus? When you read and see what he did, what he could do, how do you respond? How do you think of Jesus? Are you a person of faith, a person of fear, or a person that is going to cast doubt upon him and reject him? Now, you've presented that Bible study. You've gone through it that evening and you followed this simple format with that helpful video to help get people interact and you lead into discussion to say, what do you think of Jesus based on what he has, you have seen this evening? You know, what do you think he is like? And you're going to develop that and work with that with that idea of having them confront in their heart what do they think of Jesus Christ? Who is he and how is their relationship to him? Do they have one? 
Have they rejected him? And it's a convenient opportunity that every one of you, with such a simple format, could walk through a friend with the, through a Bible study with the help of something like this DVD. And some of you don't need the DVD. You are, you're so, um, so uh, apt and interesting and able to do the study on your own. But it's a helpful tool to be able to share the gospel with somebody else and try to present the gospel of Jesus Christ, who he is. The next Bible study lesson gets into more detail about what is sin and the consequences of it. And it's a tool, again, that you can consider, what can I use just to be able to share the gospel a little bit more? Now, for some here, the lessons are, okay, maybe I have to deal with Jesus Christ. Have I ever made him my Savior? Well, if you want to talk anymore, I'm going to head out to the back there in a few moments, and I'll be glad to talk with you. Otherwise, what we're going to do is shift gears here, and a number of the folk are going to take the next few minutes and pray. The Calvary Clubs and other ministries go until 8.15. So about the next 10, 15 minutes, a good number of folk here are just going to pray by themselves or pray for some of those requests with somebody else out loud, quietly. Some will stay seated. Some will kneel down. Whatever you're comfortable doing. But we're going to take the next 10 minutes or so up until 8.15 if you'd like. If you'd like to stay longer, you're welcome to. To and have a prayer time. When you're done praying in here, please do your visiting out in the foyer. If you'd like to talk, I'll be out in the back. I'll be glad to answer some more of your questions about Jesus Christ and what the Bible teaches about him. Thanks for listening tonight. Hope that's been helpful.